This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Right, if y'all would uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6 once, once again here. Matthew chapter 6. Any questions from this morning before we get started? No? All right. Amen. Got to be got to be ready for that. I pop that on you every once in a while. You got to be like Zach. You got to be ready. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> well, there's real danger in that. <laughs> uh uh, that 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 happens sometimes. All right, um, Matthew chapter six, and, I, and we are going to look at the same verses uh, tonight. I want to uh, kind of uh, give you a little more um, support for what I was saying this morning, and, and uh, just kind of finish it out here before we move into chapter seven. Of course, remember all the way through this, as far as. As Jesus is concerned, um, as far as the Scripture here, we're in one sermon. So, <laughs> 5, 6, and 7, this is all one sermon. So, when, when we cross uh, uh, chapter division, um, we're in, th- in this case, we're still in the same context as we move into chapter 7. So, that's, that's one reason. I, I know, you know, I've been, uh, um, when, I, when I recap some of these things, you, you may be thinking, well, we already, we already heard that and we already know that, but I'm just trying to help us. Uh, keep things in context. It helps me, and, and uh, hopefully, hopefully you as well. Um, so tonight, I, w- I want to again just consider uh, what he is saying here about uh, seeking and what what to seek. And uh, let's let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll we'll dive in here. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you again for bringing us together. And, uh, Lord, as always, we need your help. Uh, I need your enablement. Uh, All of us here need uh, for you to enable us to hear so that we don't just uh, hear the words spoken with our physical ear, but so that we would actually hear and perceive and understand your truth. Open it up to us, we pray. And, Lord, make it change us, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. May it all be for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. I want to start by uh, reading you a quote tonight, because this, this again, is uh, something I've tried to um, put some emphasis on uh, all the way through here and uh, want to continue to do so, is that as we talked about when we were going through the Beatitudes um, and that... that, um, Repetition of Jesus there with the word blessed. Um, this is what he's talking about here is the only way of, of true happiness. Um, what Jesus is talking about here, the point of his sermon, and hopefully the point of mine, this is always the goal anyway, is, is to point to him as 
the one of ultimate value. Now, we think in, in natural uh, terms, we think, uh, most people do, of riches as having the ability to make us happy. You hear people talk that way all the time. And, and uh, unfortunately, we may hear ourselves talk that way sometimes. Um, but it's as though if we had enough money or possessions, right, we would be happy. Well, let me say this. There's, there's some legitimacy to that line of thinking. Um, in other words, there is something that can make us happy. But it's not material thing. That's where we get messed up. You know, the, the object of our desire, uh, the, uh, the goal that we're going after, if, if that's off, then, then uh, that's, that's what messes us up. So Jesus is telling us the true way of happiness. In other words, how is a person truly blessed, truly happy? Um, what characterizes these people? And again, we talked about that over and over as we went through the Beatitudes, and I've, and I've tried to mention it throughout here because, again, I think uh, that's part of what Jesus is saying. He's, he's transitioning, but he hasn't, he hasn't left that main theme. So, again, this morning we talked about seeking. Verse 33, seeking what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what our whole life ought to be focused on. That is the way of blessedness or happiness. Now, consider this quote. Um, it's by a Christian philosopher, um, Blaise Pascal, lived in the 20th century. I think he died in the 70s. Uh, he said this, and I think it's accurate. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. In other words, that's always the goal. It's always, um, they may employ different means, but they have the same goal of being happy. And he goes on to say, the cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will, now again, listen, listen closely here. He's talking about the human will. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So he's saying the, the goal in every move in a person's life, the goal behind every act of the will, the driving factor is to be happy. And he's saying that the will never acts except um, with that motive, to be happy. So he says, the will never takes the least step but to this object, to be happy. And then he makes the, the, the final sentence that I read there, which is astounding but true again. This is the motive of every action of every man, even those who hang themselves. In other words, what he's saying is, even when a person commits suicide, it's because they think this is the best of two options. So it's a move towards being happy. And I, I, have, I, I, have, I have seen that. I have, I have discussed that with people who were contemplating suicide, and I've discussed it with people who wound up doing it. Now, we, we had a man come in Germantown 
one day, Germantown uh, Church, and sat on the back row, and he sat and listened to the sermon, and afterwards he, uh, you know, and I didn't know him, a uh, few of the people there knew him, but they didn't know him well, <clears throat> and uh, after the sermon, uh, like I say, first time I'm meeting this man, he said, uh, I'd like to talk to you, you know, if you're not in a hurry, and I, I said, absolutely, you know, we can talk, and he said, well, do you mind coming over to my house, and I said, no, and, you know, I don't mind, so I, I followed him over to his house. And uh, we sat down, and he told me um, about his decision to commit suicide. And within, of course, you know, I shared the gospel with him. And, and uh, uh, frankly, and, and when, I, when I've been in those discussions, um, of course, you always try to be, uh, I mean, you, you know, you want to be led by the Spirit of God and say the right things. But I have a tendency, uh, hopefully, from the Lord, but I have a tendency to be kind of blunt because, it, you know, <laughs> There's there's serious things on the table there. So basically what I told him is you're jumping from the frying pan into the fire in a very literal sense. And uh, and this, this isn't the answer. Um, but his whole argument was it's got to be better. It's got to be better than what I'm doing now. And within a few days he successfully carried it out. Well, that's what Blaise Pas- Pascal is saying. This is the motive behind every act of the will. Every person seeks happiness. Now, Blaise Pascal, uh, uh, the way he words that and presents that, he's not saying it's right or wrong. He's just saying it's fact. And again, I think it's I think it's accurate. Is it wrong? Now, let's let's think about it as Christians. Is seeking happiness wrong? I had a pastor, a friend of ours, several years ago. We were in a, in a service in, uh, in Elm Grove. and um, I, 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 Well, I'm not sure what text he was preaching. I started to say, I think he might have even been preaching from here, but I, I don't remember for sure. But he was making reference to this term, uh, bless, blessed, uh, the Greek term here that means happy. He started his sermon with a question, he's, you know, he's a rhetorical question, um, or, well, actually, it's a sincere question. He look, I mean, you know, he was really looking for answers from the crowd. He said, how many of you here want to be happy? And, um, of course, everybody, assuming it's some kind of trick question, <laughs> sat there, you know, with their hands down. Nobody raised their hand. And he, and he says, Come on now, let's, let's be honest. It's not a trick question, you know. It's not. If you raise your hand, we're not going to think you're you're not spiritual or something like that. Um, that's that's the way we tend to think. Those people who seek happiness are unbelievers. But a Christian shouldn't do that, should they? Well, I, I would submit to you this: that that's part of what Jesus is saying all the way through here. That, that yes, we should be doing that. And the problem is, uh, well, the problem is not that we, we do or don't do that, because again, I think uh, Blaise Pascal's observations are correct. Everybody does that. The problem is, how do you go about it? In other words, what are you looking to to make you happy? What is the object that you pursue to achieve that state of satisfaction? That's what Jesus is addressing. He's saying there's only one way. And that is 
um, through the knowledge of Him. Verse 33, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Um, that is number one priority. That is the only way of true blessedness. So, uh, let me state again, if, if the problem is not to seek happiness or not to seek happiness, if we can say it that way, but if the problem really is um, something else, what is it? Well, I'm going to read another quote here from C.S. Lewis that I think sums that up. This one's a little bit lengthy. Bear with me here. Um, um, but I think most of it is, is uh, worth hearing. Um, C.S. Lewis, some of you may be familiar with, with his... Uh, I've, I've never read it, but the, the line, The Witch in the Wardrobe, that's, that's C.S. Lewis. He was a Christian author uh, and... Uh, you know, just just a prolific writer, but that that was probably his most well-known work, certainly in the world. Here's C.S. Lewis commenting on this, if on on this subject. <clears throat> this first part, especially, I thought uh, really important. Like I was just saying about having the wrong concept. He says, if you ask 20 good men today what they thought the highest of virtues. In other words, what is what is the the highest virtue? What what is the the uh, um, best thing you can you can do? Not not just as far as like doing acts, but I mean the, the mindset. If you ask twenty good men today what they thought the highest of the virtues, nineteen of them would reply unselfishness. But, if you ask almost any of the great Christians of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves. Now, C.S. Lewis is saying, what has become, often become, that the highest of virtues in the minds of people today, and I, and I think he's probably got Christians in mind here, primarily, Modern Christians, if you ask them, what's the greatest of virtues, they would say unselfishness. I think that's, you know, would be true in a lot of cases, if not most. Where he says the Christians of old would have answered love. So somehow, he says, we've, we've replaced the negative ideal of unselfishness with the positive one of love. So... The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion of not primarily securing good things for others. That's the problem with this outlook. Unselfishness is very self-focused. That makes sense? In, in this way, in, in this sense, unselfishness is very self-focused. It's not that we're not to be unselfish. Certainly we are. But I'm just saying, giving it this application... So we make, instead of securing good for others, making that 
uh, a good thing. We, we make doing without things ourselves a higher virtue. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion, not primarily of securing good things for others, but of going without them ourselves, as if our abstinence and not their happiness was the important point. I mean, let me... Well, I'll, I'll come back to that. I, I do not think, this is again C.S. Lewis, I do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and to take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we, do, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. Now, that's what we've been seeing in this sermon. Let me read that part one more time. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, that is, if we, if we follow Christ, every description of what we find, of, uh, what will be the result if we follow Christ, contains an appeal to desire. Now, we've seen that repeatedly, for example, in chapter 6, where Jesus says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So, He gives that as, as an appeal to our desire for happiness. He gives that as a motivating factor for doing right. Again, C.S. Lewis. If there lurks... In most modern minds, the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics. Immanuel Kant was a 19th century philosopher who had a huge impact. German philosopher had a huge impact on modern thought. And the Stoics is one of the old schools of philosophy. They are actually mentioned in the book of Acts. Paul confronts them at Athens. Um, and they had this kind of view of life that, that um, sort of uh, a, a deterministic view, which um, I don't have time to go into all that except to say this. Determinism is not precisely the same thing as what we mean by God's sovereignty. We, we do think that God determines, predetermines um, all events before the foundation of the world. But those things are predetermined by a loving, personal God who has good in mind for His people and ultimately uh, the glory of His own uh, self, the glory of His own name. On the other hand, the Stoics and other determinists um, just thought of, you know, it's in an impersonal way. It's not, not a loving, personal God doing things, but just like you hear the atheists say today, they're... They're uh, reducing everything to mechanics, and everybody is the product of your genetic makeup. So, if you're an alcoholic, it was, it was just determined. If you're homosexual, it was just determined. And so, what you have to do, according to the Stoics, is just kind of grin and bear it. And what C.S. Lewis is suggesting is that mindset has crept into the church. And people have gotten the idea it's not right to seek happiness. We're supposed to be um, unselfish to the extent that, you know, we're, we're like the Stoics. We just kind of 
we don't live for any kind of pleasure at all and we just kind of go through life bearing things. So again, C.S. Lewis says that mindset, he thinks, is more the result not of Christianity but of Immanuel Kant and the Stoics. In fact, he goes on to say, and uh, this concept is no part of the Christian faith. And I'm still quoting from him. Indeed, if we consider... Now listen carefully to what he says here, especially in reference to chapters 5 and 6 that we've already seen. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Ah, that's what C.S. Lewis is suggesting. The problem is not desire, period. Specifically, the desire to be happy. <clears throat> the problem, he suggests, that Jesus is pointing out in the Gospels and the rest of Scripture as well, is that it's not that our desires are too strong, but that they're too weak. And as a result, we are far too easily pleased. I think that's exactly right. Exactly what the point Jesus has been making. You seek food, clothing, shelter. You seek praise of men. You seek to be seen of men. It's, in other words, you're seeking an ego boost. You're far too easily pleased. So, Jesus redirects us. Don't be anxious about those things. That is, don't be overly concerned with the things of this world. Don't seek the praise of men. Don't seek food and clothing and shelter in an unreasonable way. Yes, there's a, you know, we talk, as we mentioned this morning, we're to be concerned with those things uh, with, a, with a reasonable concern. But not in love with those things. We're not identified by those things. They are not our life. So Jesus says, you don't seek those things. You don't be anxious about those things. But do this. Make this the priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. A few passages from Scripture in regards to uh, seeking. Seeking God, specifically. Job 5.8, But as for me, I would seek 
God. And to God I would commit my cause. Psalm 14.2, put in, in a, uh, uh, not question form, but as though the Lord were asking, is there any who seek God? The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. Psalm 53.2, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek God. And by the way, that's repeated again in Romans 3 as well. Psalm 69.32, The humble shall see this and be glad, and you who seek God, your hearts shall live. Psalm 34.10, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. That's a good parallel Passage for uh, Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Psalm 105.3. Glory in His holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. There's an exhortation to glory in God and to seek Him. Psalm 105.4, Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His face evermore. Isaiah 55.6, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. Hosea 10.12, Sow for yourselves righteousness. Boy, there's another good parallel <laughs> to the Sermon on the Mount. Sow for yourselves righteousness. That's, that's somewhat like store up or treasure up treasures in heaven by practicing righteousness, by doing righteousness and seek righteousness and hunger and thirst for righteousness. Again, Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord till He comes and rains righteousness on you. Well, what a picture that is. Zephaniah 2.3, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth who have upheld His justice. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. In Acts 17, I alluded to a little earlier where Paul is uh, addressing the, uh, the crowd at Mars Hill, at the Areopagus in uh, Athens, Greece. Um, he, he introduces them, so to speak, to the, to the true God. Because they are worshiping in ignorance. They are a, a, a city of agnostics. Uh, not unlike our society today. There's, there's a lot of uh, uh, superstition, a lot of religious activity, but very little, it seems, very little true knowledge of the true God. And so, Paul says, basically, I've come to tell you about Him, the true God. And, and He's the one that gives... Uh, life and breath and all things to every people. He's, he's uh, set the boundaries for every nation. In Acts 17.27, he says, "...so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He is not far from each one of us." 
So God in His sovereignty has, has uh, determined things and designed things with the intention that they should seek Him in the hopes that they might find Him. That is, seeking in hope. Another quote um, here from Charles Spurgeon in regard to verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Spurgeon says we should much more care how we live than how we eat. The spiritual should go before the bodily, the eternal before the temporal. What we wear is of very small importance compared with what we are. Therefore, let us give our chief care to that which is chief. Yea, our soul thought to the one all-absorbing object of all true life, the glory of God. Spurgeon suggests the glory of God. To live for the glory of God, the glory of God is the one all-absorbing object of all true life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't don't be anxious about these things. Don't don't concern yourself in an unreasonable way about these things. Because as I mentioned this morning, what's at the heart of of, uh, that kind of anxiety, that kind of worry, is selfishness. And Jesus says, don't be concerned about these things. Don't seek these things. That's what the Gentiles do. In other words, that's what the unbelievers do. They seek these things. But you, you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the one all-absorbing Object, true life. That's the one and only real means of true satisfaction. Our blessedness, our happiness. To seek and to find. That is to to apprehend, to realize the kingdom of God and His righteousness. His righteousness. Or put simply, it is to know Christ. And Jesus says it this way in John 17:3, this is eternal life that they may know you the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Paul says it like this as we mentioned this morning, to live is Christ. You do all things for the glory of God, whether you eat, drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all things, he says in Colossians, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be being filled with the Spirit. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Walk in the Spirit. There's so many different ways the Bible says it, but it's it's always the same thing. Seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Knowing Him. To know Him, as Paul says in Philippians 3. So is it right to desire to be happy? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. It's, it's, it's built into our being. God has put it there. He has put it in us to desire and seek happiness. So that, as Paul says in Acts 17, we would seek Him. Grope for Him in the hope that we may find Him. <laughs> because the only way that true satisfaction can be realized is in a personal knowledge of Christ. A personal knowledge of the personal God. One final thing, and I, I kind of made this point this morning, I just want to mention it again. Um, I, I don't think the this, this seeking stops when you're saved. We, 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 have, we have too much... Uh, remnants of sin. The struggle with sin on a daily basis remains. And so even Paul says that he, you know, he's not apprehended in that sense. So, again, his heart's cry is that I may know Him. That I may know Him. That I may be like Him. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection in the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, Paul wanted to identify with Jesus Christ, even if it meant suffering and death. So, the Christian life is a life of seeking true happiness in God, in Christ. He's the only means for true happiness. He's the only object of true happiness. The only one that can make us truly happy. So, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It's a word not only, uh, it's not only a command for the lost, it's an exhortation for the saved. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. He'll take care of everything else. There's nothing to worry about. Uh, boy, if we could get a handle on that, that would make... Uh, I bet you blood pressure problems would go down. <laughs> Anxiety problems. Not everybody has... I don't have blood pressure problems, but that, the fact that you don't have blood pressure problems don't mean, doesn't mean that you don't have anxiety problems. But anxiety issues would go down. Physical, other physical issues would, go, would decrease. Wouldn't it? If we just trusted God. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word and, uh, Lord, for bringing us in. Uh, Lord, uh, revealing this blessed hope to us. Salvation in Jesus Christ. Righteousness, the righteousness of God applied to us solely by Your grace. And Lord, teach us as we move through this life, as Christians in this world, teach us to live in this manner, always pursuing, always seeking You, that we may know true satisfaction, not the happiness and peace and satisfaction that this world offers, 
but that which You have created us to enjoy. Enduring satisfaction and peace in the knowledge of You. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.